Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, January 13th. I am Aranza Loizaga, and these are today's headlines. Fallout continues after a U.S. attack on a top Iranian general. Thousands in Iran marching in the streets as President Trump scrambles to defend his decision to take out General Qasem Soleimani. All eyes on Nancy Pelosi as the speaker is widely expected to deliver articles of impeachment to the Senate, setting the stage for the Senate trial of President Trump. And Senator Cory Booker announcing he is suspending his campaign for president. This and much more today on You News, recorded live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with President Donald Trump's impeachment trial. A big week on the Hill as Speaker Nancy Pelosi signals she might be sending the articles of impeachment to the Senate after a week's-long impasse. This as Republicans weigh in the possibility of immediate dismissal. Lorraine Cassidy has the very latest. President Trump's impeachment trial in the Senate could start as early as this week. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi signaling the wait is almost over, saying she's ready to send the articles to the Senate. I've always said I would send them over, so there's, there shouldn't be any mystery to that. We have confidence in our case that it is impeachable and this president is impeached for life. The president resentful of the label claiming his innocence on Twitter. Why should I have the stigma of impeachment attached to my name when I did nothing wrong? But the chances he'll be removed from office are slim and a trial might not even happen. Mitch McConnell backing a resolution to dismiss the charges. The president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, telling Fox the Senate can clear his client's name by throwing out the case as soon as Chief Justice John Roberts gavels the Senate trial to order. The rules are set by the Senate. Right. Then the Chief Justice right. interprets the rules. Okay. The Chief Justice will be given the power to dismiss. The speaker sending her political rivals a strong message. Dismissing is a cover-up. If they want to go that route again, the senators who are thinking now about voting for witnesses or not, they will have to be accountable uh, for not having a fair trial. The president in part agreeing with her. He's been asking for a trial since the early stages of the impeachment investigation. Many believe that by the Senate giving credence to a trial rather than an outright dismissal, it gives the partisan Democrat witch hunt credibility that it otherwise does not have. I agree. Calling for witnesses of his own like Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff and the Bidens. Meanwhile, while Democrats hoping to hear from key witnesses the administration blocked from testifying in the House, starting with former National Security Advisor John Bolton. We haven't uh, eliminated the possibility of ever subpoena and going forward with uh, uh, Bolton. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has stuck to his guns on that point. There will be no haggling with the House over Senate procedure. Pelosi could send the articles Tuesday night or Wednesday at some point during the day, but the House needs to pass a resolution naming impeachment managers before that happens. Meanwhile, we're learning Lev Parnas, a Rudy Giuliani associate facing charges, has just handed authorities more documents that relate to the impeachment. Back to you, Aranza. Lorraine, thank you so much for this information. Now, impeachment isn't the only major issue the Trump administration is dealing with this week. The fallout from the U.S. drone attack that killed a top Iranian general still lingers. 
Now, Janet Rodriguez is in Washington, D.C. with the latest details. Janet. Aranza, we're getting to hear from the soldiers on the ground this morning. They're telling uh, the press that they're in Iraq at that air, one of the bases there, Al-Assad, that they only had minutes to hide and to take cover before those missiles started uh, coming in. And some of them, they say, had to be out uh, uh, protecting the bases, uh, staying outside and taking cover as they could, but very close to the missiles. And they say that the fact that there were no casualties was a matter of luck and not necessarily because the Iranians didn't want to kill anybody, as the Iranian government has asserted in the past week. Now, here in Washington, the president continues to stand his ground when it comes to that imminent attack on the part of Soleimani, tweeting this morning that the fake news media doesn't really need an answer as to why there was an imminent attack, that we just need to know that he was a bad guy and he needed to be eliminated. However, Congress, we know Democrats there are insisting that the government and does explain with further details as to what was so imminent that they had to take out Soleimani the last, uh, the week before last. And the president also saying over the weekend that four especially four embassies were uh, were part of that possible imminent attack. And now Secretary Esper, the Secretary of Defense, basically going on TV and saying that there was no intelligence to support what the president is saying. Here's what he had to say over the weekend. Well, the president didn't say there was a tangible, uh, he didn't cite a specific piece of evidence. What he said is he probably, he believed. Are you saying there wasn't been. one? I didn't see one with regard to four embassies. What I'm saying is I share the president's view that probably my expectation was they were going to go after our embassies. And when it comes to the continued pro uh, protest in Iran today, the president did this weekend tweeted uh, to the Iran leaders to please do not kill the protesters there. He asked for the Iranian government to let those people roam free and be able to express their voices. He also tweeted this morning that it is a good sign that American flags were put out on the streets and no one, no one uh, the pro those protesters out on the streets today were denigrating the American flag. He says that's progress in the conversation with Iran and in the continued uh, relationship between Iran and Washington. As we know, that's a very stressed relationship. The president here not really, you know, doubling down more like um, trying to assert that Soleimani needed to be taken out and not given any more details as to why, which is a question that continues to be asked here in Washington. Back to you. Janet Rodriguez, thank you very much from Washington, D.C. And today we are getting new images of the damages left by last week's Iranian missile attack. U.S. troops riding out two hours of strikes and explosions. According to a U.S. defense official, 10 missiles struck Al-Assad Air Base, while another missile struck Erbil International Airport. No U.S. casualties were reported following the strikes. And Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was among the mourners who gathered for a memorial for last week's plane disaster over Iran. Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752 crashed Wednesday after takeoff from Tehran's airport. Iran later admitted it mistakenly shot it down. All 176 people on board died, including 57 Canadians. Organizers say 2,300 people attended Sunday's vigil at the University of Alberta's Sports Arena. Trudeau said Canada stands united in grief and he would pursue justice and accountability from Iran for what happened. 
Another earthquake rattling Puerto Rico, a 5.9 magnitude quake hit this Saturday, knocking out power to thousands of customers. Puerto Rico has had multiple temblers throughout this week, including a 6.4 magnitude quake Tuesday that killed at least one man, destroyed homes, and left most of the island without power. New York City has the largest Puerto Rican population of any city in the world, and folks there are doing what they can to help friends and family back home. Here's Fabiola Galindo. The donations are starting to pile up. Canned foods, medicines and blankets, all to help the victims of a series of earthquakes in Puerto Rico. I have so many friends affected, they tell me they are alive, but they've lost their homes. Hundreds of people on the island are forced to sleep outside because their homes have been declared uninhabitable. Tents and sleeping bags are a top necessity, says this volunteer. People need sheets, blankets, we need cots and tents and first aid kits. President Trump stayed quiet on social media about the earthquakes, but signed an emergency declaration for the island. These donors hope that federal aid gets there quickly. If Puerto Rico was a state, the aid will get there fast, right? But because he doesn't know, we are part of the United States. Just this organization is expected to get about 40,000 pounds of donations to fill up their first container. That is set to leave New York on January 25th. They say they prefer to do it privately. Bureaucracy is the main obstacle, he says, so they are paying for transportation with donations. The container is administered privately, so that means that it's going to go straight into the hands of those that need it the most in Puerto Rico, and we have a crew over there. Juanica, Ponce, and surrounding cities will be the first to get the aid. Jose Feliciano is donating his time. I actually have a flight. Um, I'm leaving Tuesday. I'll be back Sunday. So I'm just bringing the stuff. This is the team I'm going out there with on Tuesday, so... This is what brings me here. The first container leaves next week. In New York, Fabiola Galindo, U News. The Democratic field keeps shrinking. Now Senator Cory Booker dropped out of the presidential race today, ending a campaign whose message of unity and love failed to resonate in a political era marked by chaos and anxiety. His departure now leaves a field that was once the most diverse in history with just one remaining African-American candidate, former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick. Since launching his campaign last February, Booker, a U.S. Senator from New Jersey, struggled to raise the type of money required to support a White House bid. He was at the back of the pack in most surveys and failed to meet the polling requirements needed to participate in Tuesday's debate. And by the way, the Iowa caucuses are right around the corner and with just weeks to go, it may be shaping up to be a four-way race among Democratic presidential hopefuls. That's according to a new CNN Des Moines Register Mediacom poll. Joining me now to talk about it is Professor Charles Selden. He's a political science professor at Nova Southeastern University. Thank you for joining us, Professor Charles. Glad to be here. So the poll shows Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders leading the pack with 20% support among likely caucus goers. Now, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren is behind Sanders at 17%. Former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg and former Vice President Joe Biden took the third and fourth spots at 16 and 15% respectively. 
with a margin of sampling error of plus or minus 3.7 percentage points. It looks like a close race between those top four. So what's your reaction to these results, Professor? It, what it tells me is that in Iowa, where they take their job of being that first choice very seriously, they haven't made up their mind. In fact, only four out of 10 people uh, said they had made up their mind as to who they were going to vote for. Another 45% said, I'm convincible. And about 15% said, I haven't made up my mind yet. If you look at the numbers, yes, Bernie is ahead. But statistically, this is a tie. This is any one of them can win this race. And with about three weeks left to go, there's room even for somebody below them to sneak in. Uh, this is very volatile. So is this poll good or bad news for Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders? Can he, can he stay ahead? Well, it's always good to be on top. It's always good to be number one. But what it says is that it's very close. And come election night, caucus night, it, it could be that he's ahead or it could be that he's in fourth place. It, the numbers wouldn't have to change very much. Uh, what this hints at is that we may end up with an Iowa caucus in which all four of the top candidates can basically claim a victory. Uh, they may not be number one, but when you're only a couple points below number one with proportional representation at the convention, it's basically a tie. And, and that's a real possibility here. So former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg criticized the Democratic presidential nominating system in which candidates have to focus on winning the early voting states of Iowa and New Hampshire instead of focusing first on battleground states like Florida, Ohio or Pennsylvania. Now, Arizona as well. So what do you make out of this criticism? Well, that what he's proposing works great if you've got billions to spend of your own money. The whole idea of starting in small states, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Iowa, is that it allows for retail politics. Go knock on doors, meet people, shake hands, kiss babies. It allows for you to make your case in an affordable manner. And then the people who succeed at that will get the money they need to then compete in the larger states. But if you don't have 30, 40, you know, billion dollars to spend, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You, you're stuck. So the system has gone on for many years, and it's built on the idea that you build up slowly. They'll get to the um, to the states that are are going to be the challenge in the general election. But this is a primary; it's a different animal. Of course. So, in a very few seconds, Professor Charles, you know, what can we expect from tomorrow's debate ahead of the Iowa caucuses? I'm expecting fireworks. This is the last chance that these candidates have to differentiate themselves from each other in a way that says, vote for me in Iowa, vote for me in New Hampshire, and uh, ultimately vote for me. And so uh, while I think there'll be a lot of agreement that you know Donald Trump is bad, how they respond to that and what they would do in his place, they're going to try and differentiate themselves as much as possible. Thank you so much, political science professor Charles Selden. We'll see you next time. And for stories around the world, evacuations are underway in the Philippines after forecasters warn a hazardous explosive eruption is imminent. This comes after the Tal volcano erupted on Sunday.
spewing smoke and volcanic ash nearly 15 kilometers high or around six miles. Meanwhile, in Ecuador, the La Cumbre volcano located on one of the Galapagos Islands erupted Sunday. Fernandina Island, where that volcano is located, is home to unique species such as land and water iguanas, snakes and penguins, among other animals. The park says ecosystem authorities are on high alert and will monitor the environmental effects of the eruption. And Monday marks 19 years since a deadly earthquake devastated El Salvador. On January 13, 2001, the 7.6 magnitude quake struck, killing 944 people and destroying over 92,000 homes. Violence skyrocketed as a result, and more than 1,000 people were murdered in the aftermath of the disaster. Around 1.3 million Salvadorans became internally displaced persons. That year, migrants from El Salvador to the U.S. were granted temporary protection status known as TPS. Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador has met with members of the Mormon fundamentalist family whose relatives were brutally murdered several months ago, November of last year, while traveling near the U.S. border. López Obrador's meeting with the Lebaron family aimed at providing the family updates on the investigation into their relatives' murders. David Romo has those details. Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador arrived on time for his appointment in La Mora, Sonora, Mexico. Waiting for him were the family of the three women and six children brutally murdered, just a few miles away from here on an unpaved road more than two months ago. As they left, the Langford, Levaron, Miller and Ray relatives, who were able to meet with the president privately, expressed nothing but praise. It's obvious. It's obvious he wants to help, and not just in terms of protocol. Do you know what I mean? Very kind, very smart, very loving. There are no words to tell you. I was very surprised. What a good president. He treated us very, very well. Margarita Longford's hope returned after the almost hour-long meeting with the president. Afterwards, she described how her community is dealing with the tragedy. Broken hearts, defeated, and because of organized crime. I personally don't understand how so many people can still die. The president revealed that he accepted the family's proposal. To build a monument here, where these regrettable and painful events happened, in recognition and memory of the victims. Jay Ray, father of Donna Ray Langford, who was murdered along with two of his sons on November 4, shared with us the president's proposals that he liked the most. To give national recognition to people who are working to save the lives of innocent people. They are aware of the progress of the investigation. This generates a sense of peace, of mind, and the certainty that there will be justice. Then, the president and his team left as quickly as they arrived. Adrián and Julián Levarón, who were not at the presidential meeting, invited all Mexicans to march in a few days at one of the places where the tragedy took place. That we put in check, and if possible in checkmate, metaphorically speaking, the authorities who have failed us from the local level. Because they are convinced that there are authorities who are complicit. Reporting from La Mora, Sonora, Mexico, by Jessica Cermeño, David Romo, U News. And precisely staying there, the Lucha Libre has announced that La Parca, known for wrestling with, you know, a mask, a very intricate custom, 
He died Saturday at 54. The wrestling legend, whose real name was Jesus Alfonso Huerta Escobosa, died from injuries sustained in a fall during a wrestling match in October. Huerta Escobosa was originally from Hermosillo, Mexico. He began wrestling in 1987 and toured Mexico and the world under the mask of La Parca for more than 20 years. Rest in peace. More of your news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. In consumer news, Hummer trucks are back. The controversial gas guzzler will be resurrected by GM as an all-electric pickup truck sold under the GMC brand. NBA superstar LeBron James will promote the new car. There's even a plan to air a Super Bowl commercial. The rollout of this new model is scheduled for early 2022. And listen to this, a New Jersey mom saying she got a very gross and potentially health-threatening Amazon delivery. Naisley Sale says she ordered two boxes of diapers from Amazon from the site's Amazon Warehouse section. That's where open box and return items are sold at a discounted rate. According to the woman, the package arrived and the diapers were neatly folded but also soiled. In a statement, an Amazon spokesperson said, quote, we are investigating the situation and in contact with the customer to make it right. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then, 